there is no one silver bullet, you know, kind of mindset. Um, and as much as I focus on electric vehicles, I certainly recognize they aren't going to work for, for everyone and in, in every fleet. For the fleets that it does make sense, like you said, the refuse haulers, the transit in many cases, the delivery um, fleets, the, the opportunity is significant here. Welcome to another episode of Energy Talks, the podcast where we discuss global energy issues and trends with experts from around the world. I'm energy and climate journalist Markham Hislop. On this episode, I'll be talking to Stacey Noblet, who's the Senior Director, Transportation Electrification for Global Consultancy ICF, about her recent blog post, How Electric Vehicles Can Drive Our Clean Transportation Future. She's speaking to us from Washington, D.C., so welcome to the interview, Stacey. Thank you so much, Markham. Well, like you wrote a blog post, and I want to quote one of the sentences. This is the one that caught my attention and why I was interested in talking to you. Consumer adoption of EVs is just one piece of a very complex set of challenges and opportunities that span infrastructure, vehicle applications, public policy, and even social equity. Now, I have a challenge as a journalist of conveying to my readers and viewers and listeners the complexity of this process. There are so many moving parts. It's, you know, it's operating at a, it's a, it's a global process. It's completely transformative. And so that's why I was really interested in this. And I guess what I'd like to do is follow the structure you've laid out in that sentence and start with infrastructure. So what's your take on the importance of electric vehicle infrastructure to the adoption of electric vehicles? Sure, happy to dive into that. And I guess just to level set for the audience's um, benefit, you know, the infrastructure we're talking about is the charging infrastructure. So the equipment that is necessary to really make these electric vehicles go, whether they're battery electric and, you know, full electric range or plug-in hybrid and have the option, you know, to go gas or electric, they still need to be charged. And the majority of a single EV's charging is typically done at home. So there's residential charging and, you know, you can kind of use a one for one ratio there, any electric vehicle that's purchased has some way to charge at home, or at least that's inferred. It gets a little bit more complicated and we're talking about multifamily, so apartments and condominiums, for example, and, and making sure that, that people can still charge at home. And even older uh, single family homes or areas that an infrastructure upgrade, an electrical upgrade may not be necessary. Um, the, the bigger piece of the infrastructure is everything else. So everything outside of the home, which includes your destination, so shopping centers, for example, highway corridors to enable long distance travel. And we're, we haven't even started talking about fleets and sort of the, the groups of vehicles that need to move around to get their jobs done. And so currently the industry has come a very long way in 10 or so years and building out the infrastructure necessary to, to serve electric vehicles, but there's still a lot more work to do. Um, if you look at a map of where these charging stations are currently, we've got some nice build out along highway corridors enabled by some of the private um, industry investment that's happening and also pockets around metro areas, you know, where those vehicles are, the infrastructure is associated there, but for widespread adoption, ultimately, 
definitely there are a lot of gaps to fill rural areas, for example, uh, lower income areas, for example. And so to to make that happen, it's not one person or entity's job. It is absolutely a collaborative effort involving the automakers, the charging manufacturers, very importantly, electric utilities. A lot of utilities are, are still kind of working through what their role is and um, certainly sync signals toward the utility should be involved um, in, in any sort of charging, residential, public, you know, you name it. And then certainly from a policy perspective, you know, the government's role we're, we're already hearing about the federal fleet's conversion to electric vehicles, those still need to be charged and that will, will come with some infrastructure development. So certainly a lot of, of challenges of getting those charging stations in the ground, uh, making sure they're, they're used um, in the right way and to the great ex extent. And ultimately, where is that funding coming from? Where, is the, where are the right locations? So um, again, a lot of developments over the last couple of years and still a fair amount of work to go. Well, I want to give you a couple of uh, variables here that might affect that calculation, uh, that process. And one of them is I've talked to uh, a couple of battery experts who say that by 2030-ish, we're going to have uh, batteries with uh, much greater energy density. We might even be seeing a thousand mile batteries. Uh, it might be in the upper end vehicles, luxury vehicles to start with, but those are coming. The other is batteries with, say, solid state batteries that can be charged you know, much more rapidly than, than currently is, is possible. What impact might those technological developments have on the infrastructure issue? Because it would seem to me that there's a pot, you know, maybe you need less infrastructure with better batteries, uh, or maybe you need more because there's just going to be so many more, you know, electric vehicles on the road. What's your take? Yeah, it's a great question and, and the technology advances have been really exciting on the battery side. From an infrastructure perspective, you know, one of the, I guess you could say best practices is future-proofing whenever possible, you know, thinking through how are um, these vehicles going to, to look and, and act in the future. Um, even in, you know, the last few years, we've seen a move from, you know, say 25 kW fast charging, quote unquote, fast charging units, which, um, you know, to say that now we're seeing 150 and promises of 350 kilowatt fast chargers. So it, the industry is absolutely looking to those battery advancements and, trying to you know keep up to some extent but not go so far that you can't serve the vehicles that are on the road now you know many of those vehicles won't be able to use those charging stations and so you'll have to wait for the fleet to turn over a bit um, so from an equity perspective making sure even the the current evs can use it and when, when i say equity i mean kind of equal access for all the evs that are on the road you know, there needs to still be a mix of, of infrastructure and of, of levels of charging, but recognizing that what we have today will not be what we have in the future. The question I guess I get asked all the time is uh, about the grid and the distribution systems to serve all of this. And, you know, presumably if we electrify transportation, uh, both uh, personal and commercial, that that will you know we'll need a lot more electricity, maybe fifty to one hundred percent more, depending on on the studies involved. But I respond. I've interviewed uh, you know utility analysts and I've interviewed utility executives, and th there's nobody that's not planning for this. This is not like this came out of the the blue. This you know utilities have been thinking about this for years and have been making investments and beginning, and they have plans in place. Is, is that a fair? 
commentary? I'd say overall, yes. And it is a, a product of, you know, the education that has happened to elevate the profile of electric vehicles and what they may mean in the future from the, the grids perspective. Um, but also there's a lot of utilities that have in, in the US, you know, where my focus is that have really gotten out in front of electric vehicle adoption, tried to understand what's going on, use the pilot programs that they've put forward to really understand and how the vehicles are being charged, you know, customer behavior in general. Having said that, there are plenty of utilities that are, have taken a wait and see approach and are just not seeing the EV adoption in their area quite yet. So it's hard to make the case that, you know, the charge, they need to build out charging infrastructure or support their customers build out. Um, when I say it's hard to make the case that maybe to, to a regulator or whatever the approving body is, say for a co-op or municipal utility in that case. But all signs are pointing to the fact that we will have more electric vehicles on the road, meaning we will have more charging. And it is necessary for the utility to be involved to really understand what that means. Um, even as just a, in a partnership with the customer, helping them think through what is necessary for and from an infrastructure perspective, um, fleets are a fantastic example of how important those conversations can really be because the, the electricity needed for a single fleet could, you know, could add up and the utility needs to be at the table for that conversation. Now, we've seen President Biden in the eight months uh, that he's uh, occupied the White House, uh, seven months, six months, somewhere in around there. Just counting. Uh, so he's got the big infrastructure bill coming. And as promised, uh, you know, a lot of money it was 174 billion he promised for electric vehicles. That's been pared down in the existing infrastructure bill. We'll see where, how that all plays out in negotiations with uh, uh, congressional Republicans. What's your take on the impact of this? Because when Biden was on the campaign trail, one of the paragraphs that really caught my attention in his material, he said, we have fallen behind the Chinese. They are the EV leaders globally. This is a strategic industry uh, for the United States in decades ahead. He said, I will invest in this and we'll catch up. And by 2030, the USA will be the number one electric vehicle you know, power in, in the world. So clearly there's a recognition that this is a you know, the industry is going through a transformative phase. It's, I liken it often to the industrial, to the internal combustion engine boom that took place in the 1920s. It's kind of very analogous from my, from my point of view. And I was just wondering what you see coming from the Biden administration that can boost EV adoption, that can build out the infrastructure faster and more comprehensively and so on. What's your take? I think what's most striking to me is the systemic framing of transportation electrification. It's not just about manufacturing the vehicles. It's not just about getting the charging stations in the ground to enable the, those vehicle, the vehicle adoption. It's also the workforce development that's associated with that. It's the technological uh, and manufacturing capacity that goes along with that. Um, it's the emissions impact that goes along with that and the cost savings for the American consumer. Um, so it's, I've been impressed with that framing because I think it is maybe not how, um, you know, certainly 
maybe policymakers have, have framed it in the past and kind of putting it together in that comprehensive way. Um, I think it, you know, there are pieces that that anyone can latch onto, even if they're not bought into the full concept, there are elements of, of the plan that will make more sense than others to, to again, the average consumer. Um, and so it is exciting, you know, it, it does remain to be seen exactly how that rollout will happen. But even looking at the federal fleet conversion, for example, which does seem to be moving forward in terms of enabling that transition, those are a lot of vehicles. That's a lot of charging stations. And that is a significant step in, in the right direction. And, you know, again, that's just one slice of the overall administration's plan. Now, I know you do a lot of work in, in Washington and consulting, uh, you know, public policy consulting. Is What's your take on whether it's recognized uh, generally on, on the Hill that this is transformative and this is strategic? There are national, I'm going to say national security implications, maybe, but certainly national economic implications. What, what are people saying? What are policymakers saying? Sure. Unfortunately, I'm not, I don't have my finger on the pulse of, of Washington from the, the policymaking perspective. My focus has generally been working with the electric utilities and moving um, programs, you know, from the design and conceptual phase through to implementation and, and then kind of doing it over again. Um, but I, I can say that there's just generally more attention, whether it's from a policymaker or utility executive or a you know, municipal fleet manager. There's just much more information out there about electric vehicles, how they may or may not work, you know, for an individual entity or, or, or you know, person. Um, and so the awareness has, is heightened, you know, the, I think it's, it's pretty undeniable at this point that, you know, we're reaching the point of, of, you know, certain manufacturers and, and certain commercials at this point, um, you know, kind of striking a chord with people. So um, the, the awareness, if nothing else, is, um, is notable. Well, let's talk about vehicle applications. And I followed this one for a while. And I'm very uh, interested in the, the, the internal calculation that consumers make when they're coming to buy a vehicle. So quite often, like, you know, in the past, you would go on the lot and you'd say, okay, well, that car is 20 or 30 or 40 or whatever thousand dollars, whatever the, the price was, how much should I pay for per month? And can I afford the, you know, the, the fuel to go in it? Uh, now, uh, we hear a lot about, you know, EV sticker prices need to come down because they're generally quite a bit more expensive. But it's, I, I saw a levelized cost of uh, driving study from 2020, from 2019 that used 2018 data, and it was already cheaper to, to, to drive an electric car and only slightly cheaper to drive, or slightly more expensive to drive an electric truck. And those prices have come down considerably since then. And then there's the value issue. So if you look at the Ford F-150 Lightning that got introduced, I mean, you can power your house for three days and you, I mean, all, you got a frunk, you got, I mean, there's all, it's changing the value calculation and value is a big deal when you're talking about consumers and, and vehicles. So I guess it's sticker price versus levelized cost of driving. So price per kilometer or mile versus value. How, do, how are we sorting all of that out and, and how do, policymakers, how to look, utilities, how do consumers look at that? 
Yeah, it's a great question and it continues to, to be a challenge when we're kind of driving toward widespread consumer adoption because many of us do look at that upfront cost. What's it gonna cost me today? And kind of, you know, shelve the rest of it. Um, you know, does the average person know exactly how much they're paying in gas and maintenance on an annual basis? You know, open-ended question, I suppose, but being able to frame it in that way really does put um, a different, you know, kind of understanding of those costs out there. So, you know, we, yes, you're correct. The, the sticker price of electric vehicles is currently, you know, greater than its counterpart as vehicle as, as battery technology improves, the expectation is that costs will come down. In the meantime, while that's going, going on, we have to figure out a way to, to make it a little bit more palatable for consumers to understand. And that's where you get into, how much are you saving on fuel on ideally an annual basis? How much are you saving on maintenance on ideally an annual basis? And you know that's one of those um, points that I think the increase, increased education and awareness has, has really um, shined a light on the fact that you have fewer moving parts with electric vehicles and therefore you have lower maintenance needs and, and lower costs. Um, you know, are we going to start purchasing, you know, will everyone start purchasing vehicles with that different calculus in, in mind? It's, it's difficult to say, but as much of that information that can get out there, the better. Um, I know EV drivers are the, the best, you know, ambassadors for the technology. They love talking about their their range and their cost savings and and so the more ev drivers we have the more information um will you know kind of trickle through the industry well that reminds me of i was rereading um everett rogers diffusion of innovations so the 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 seminal book on technology diffusion and uh, he, he talks about how, you know, when he was a young scholar, uh, they were working with, uh, I think it was hybrid corn uh, in Iowa or someplace. And, and that, was a whole, that was the whole crux of their strategy was you get a farmer who has adopted it and had success with it. You bring other farmers in to talk to, to that farmer, the successful farmer. And, and then they go, aha, well, you know what? I'm gonna give that a try. Uh, you know, Joe over in the quarter next door, he was having good luck. I'm gonna go give it a try. And you do that and then they, they do it themselves. They, you know, they, they then tell their neighbors and, and it seems like that is, a, is what you're describing right there. There's actually, it's rooted in, in, the, in, in theory. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and not being as familiar with that theory as you are, it sounds, sounds about right. You know, the, um, you could call them evangelists or EV ambassadors, the, the best ones out there are those driving electric. Many of them, you know, have gone on record with various surveys and said, I'm never going back. You know, I'll always drive an electric vehicle from, from then on. And so that really makes it, you know, to your neighbor, for example, it makes it more uh, approachable and you re realize, you know, real people actually do drive these vehicles. It's not just the, um, you know, the, the people with more means. Right. I, I, I want to talk to you, speaking of, of everybody who drives, um, in 2017, I interviewed Tony Seba, the, Stan, the Stanford uh, ec economist who, you know, he, he published a uh, very important study on mobility as a service, arguing that the cost of mobility as a service, you know, so you like robo taxis would drive the, the cost per kilometer traveled, per mile traveled, uh, so low that why would you have, own a car? You just you know get on your app and and call up a robo taxi and go wherever you want for pennies, pennies a mile. 
And now we're actually actually seeing, because there was a lot of skepticism when, when SEBA came out with that, but now we're seeing um, mobility as a service being rolled out. Ford made it its announcement. It's going to be rolling it out in the fall. Uh, I think it's a partnership with Lyft. And, and uh, these are more limited applications and limited number of cities to start with, but it seems like mobility as a service is, is here. And I'm wondering what your clients, uh, you know, in your community, what 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 are people saying about that? Sure, and and there's a lot of ICFers that are much um, more informed on you know smart mobility than I am, but you know focusing again on on the electric um, piece of it, you know, it's certainly. Um, uh, a nice pairing with with rideshare and with some of the you know I guess n opposite of vehicle ownership. We just talked through you know the costs associated with vehicle ownership and the benefits that EV provides. Um, but ideally, from an emissions reduction perspective and climate health overall, we'd love to see fewer vehicles on the road. So, in places where it makes sense, you know, mobility as a service has a lot of of promise. Um, you know, I, I grew up in, in the Detroit area and everyone got a license when they turned, turned of age. That is not the case now, and especially in metropolitan areas. I think more of, of the younger generation are recognizing that they have other options, whether it be transit or, you know, some rideshare option. And pairing those things with electric is a fantastic way to reduce the overall climate footprint of transportation more broadly. So let's talk about uh, public policy. And I'm particularly interested in your views on where you think government are going with subsidies and mandates. Sure, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we talked about the upfront cost being an issue and that's the vehicle side where we focus, but certainly the charging infrastructure side, if you do want, you know, what we call a site host. So basically the entity installing charging stations, if you want them to, to have a, a business case around it, a compelling business case, the upfront cost again, can be a challenge. And so it's, it's looking at it over a period of time. Ideally, there are some incentives to, to help kind of jumpstart that decision-making. Just like every other, you know, mature technology, you will want to get to a point where incentives, subsidies, you know, however you, you want to frame it, aren't necessary for, for mainstream adoption. And I'm confident that we will get there with electric vehicles, given, given everything that's going on. Um, I think that the, the mix of federal, uh, state, local, and utility incentives has been um, really very complementary to each other. There are some states you can kind of stack those incentives up in a, uh, a meaningful way and, and help kind of move adoption forward. So, you know, I'd love to see to a point where, where those aren't necessary. Um, but, you know, for now, I think they will continue to be an important piece of the puzzle. Now, I wonder how long that will be, because we're seeing uh, forecasts from like Bloomberg NEF, for instance, uh, you know, mid-decade, uh, give or take a year, uh, they uh, EVs will achieve uh, price parity uh, with internal combustion engine cars. And then at that point, uh, it would seem that, you know, they're on equal footing, but also governments, if they, you know, public policy around climate, and if they want it now, it's an issue of speeding up uh, EVs to, to lower emissions from ground transportation. They may just keep those those subsidies in there. What what do you? How do you think that policymakers will approach this? I think there are a 
multiple tools. You know, we're seeing California and Massachusetts on uh, announcing on the mandate side um, to to push non-internal combustion engines into the market, basically banning sales of, of anything that's not a zero emission vehicle or anything that is, I suppose, a, a, an internal combustion vehicle. So, you know, those are two states that have been strong on incentives in the past, but also recognizing that there's a role for, for you know, the mandate side of, of the policy uh, playbook. So there will likely be a, a, you know, continue to be a mix of that. Um, the states have been very strong in kind of moving things forward based on their own plans and priorities, but also recognizing that that electric vehicles and kind of the landscape is absolutely not uniform across the country. There are areas that you know, are just starting to see interest in EVs. And so some of these policy measures may not make sense there. And we're talking about mandates, for example, um, whereas others, you know, like California are certainly farther along and you can kind of look back over the, the evolution of the policy tools that have been used there. So for a while, there will continue to be a mix um, and it remains to be seen, you know, what that mix looks like in 20, 30 years from now. I want to talk about medium and heavy duty applications because these seem to actually be, you know, if we're talking about delivery vans, if we're talking about maybe long haul trucking, maybe a little further down the road, that, but the garbage trucks, I mean, there are all sorts of vehicles that lend themselves really well to electrification because they have a prescribed route. They're not going, you know, they're traveling maybe a hundred miles at most in a day. They come back to one place where you can charge all of them up at the same time. You can, now I would think that utilities, uh, the folks that you're working with, must be really happy about that because they, it's easy to build infrastructure to service that. And uh, you know, there's a, a customer that will grow over time and who I haven't met a utility uh, ever that didn't want to sell more electricity. Yeah, well, the, the, I'll first make the point, Markham, that the kind of criteria you outlined are important from a fleet's perspective. You know, having set routes, coming back to base every night, um, you know, predictable kind of patterns overall. And I, I bring that up because the reality is electric does not make sense for every fleet. And I think it's important to understand that. I have um, worked in the clean transportation space across all alternative fuels for, for many years. And there, you know, there's kind of the, this, um, there is no one silver bullet, you know, kind of mindset. Um, and as much as I focus on electric vehicles, I certainly recognize they aren't going to work for, for everyone in, in every fleet. For the fleets that it does make sense, like you said, the refuse haulers, the transit in many cases, the delivery um, fleets, the, the opportunity is significant here and it has been held back to some extent up until now by vehicle availability. We are now seeing some really exciting uh, product announcements from manufacturers and partnerships even with infrastructure providers to really make that more of a reality for fleets and certainly commitments from many of the fleets, which, which is all you know, kind of coming together. From the utilities perspective, there, we're seeing more fleet assessment, um, fleet electrification assessment service offerings from the utility. And what that does is gives the utility an opportunity to talk with the customer, which they're already doing in many cases because these are significant accounts, but about something different, about transportation and their needs around the vehicles and the infrastructure. And of course, from the utilities perspective, they wanna make sure that any charging infrastructure being built out is done so 
in a way that considers rate structures and um, just overall distribution impacts. So the fleet customer is, is one that increasingly utilities will have a focus on and making sure that the fleet is compelled to reach out to the utility before they to go too far down the path of developing infrastructure and acquiring vehicles. Well, let's wrap up our conversation today, Stacey, with uh, social equity. What's your take on that? I think there's a lot of work to be done to ensure equal access to electrified transportation, whether that's personal passenger vehicles, transit, ride share. Um, there will continue to be a, a significant amount of work to be done there. And when we talk about equal access, it means you know, anyone that wants to can, um, you know, reap the advantages of, of transportation electrification, not just low income communities, disadvantaged communities, but also rural areas um, and kind of, you know, underserved as sort of the bigger umbrella. Um, the good news is there are quite a few of these technologies, transit and rideshare being two of them that play very nicely into, you know, moving uh, electrified transportation into some of these communities and allowing, you know, for emissions reductions, for example, which has public health impacts to some of the most impacted uh, communities. So um, certainly, you know, it, it's great to see some of the incentives being geared more toward low income purchasers, for example, um, while not, you know, specific, uh, specific to an incentive program, more used EVs are becoming available, um, which have lower, you know, upfront costs. So more people, I think, can can you know, find the purchase of these vehicles, the use of these vehicles, and tangible. So, you know, for this to to work, for transportation electrification to truly work and sustain, equal access is very important, and there should continue to be a lot of emphasis on making sure um, any of the vehicles and charging infrastructure put out there is is done so in a in a meaningful way. Well, Stacey, thank you very much for this. Uh, really appreciate uh, your insights on this. Thank you, Markham. It was great to talk with you about something I, I feel so passionate about.